mission right and uh, Paul was on a mission as he wrote Romans 7 to the church of Rome uh, that we could be reminded of what our mission is as well uh, with this point we want to um, dismiss our children for children's worship up through the fifth fourth grade fifth grade and fifth grade up through fifth grade um, so if you'd like to head that way uh, you've got some wonderful looking uh, teachers here heading out there with you okay Here's where you always got to check who's trying to sneak out. Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys have been teacher, hadn't been teachers for a while. Okay, Helen's waving at me. <coughs> uh, well, the rest of you, grab your uh, copy of God's Word and turn to the Book of Acts, chapter two. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some shelves back here and over here. If you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, if you want to grab one of those. Uh, please do, and you can follow along in Acts chapter 2 as we continue our series. Uh, in the book of Acts, we've entitled uh, Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God. And this morning, uh, we're going to be covering chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now, um, I haven't been up here in a few weeks. Uh, we had our man camp, and we had our speaker, Ken Watson, um, that was here to preach that next Sunday after our man camp, and what a blessing that was. I think we would all agree. Uh, the whole man camp and then uh, Ken being with us to uh, deliver God's word. It was a blessing to me, I know. And then last uh, week, uh, Jared uh, preached, and it was Jared's last message or uh, sermon as a single man. Because uh, this Saturday, he and Sarah will be getting married. So <clears throat> that was his last shot as a single man. And his preaching is going to get so much better, I promise you. I promise you. Thanks to Sarah. Um, but uh, so... Uh, so we're going to dive back into Acts um, and be here for a while. And I just want to go ahead and, and uh, tell you this before I forget. I mentioned earlier um, in chapter 2 that uh, it talks about this. That we'll, we'll be reminded today. It's going to talk about what they, what they did. This, all of a sudden these people began to speak in tongues. And it was an amazing miracle of what happened there on that day in Pentecost. And I made a promise that I would come back later and do one whole message just on what does the Bible have to say about tongues. It can be a very confusing thing. It can be very divisive. Um, and, uh, and I promised that I was going to do that. Well, I'm going to wait to the fall because a lot of people, just where I am in Acts, and maybe I'll get to that. Um, I don't want to miss the flow between 2 and 3. So I'm going to keep going. And we're going to deal with this about three more times in the book of Acts anyway. And in the fall, probably in September, I'm going to come back and do just one whole sermon on tongues. So you won't want to miss that. I know a lot of people say, hey, when are you going to do that? I've got somebody I want to invite and those kind of things. Say, I will let you know and give you a date, but it'll probably be in September, um, so you'll know that. So just in case you're going, hey, when are we going to look at all that? Well, we're going to look at it a little bit later, um, uh, just so you know. So uh, the, the title of the message this morning, taken from Acts 2, 37 through 41, is, What Shall We Do? What Shall We Do? So follow along with me as I read 
uh, verses 37 through 41 of Acts chapter 2. Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we uh, come to you again on this Sunday morning, uh, the first day of the week, where you have uh, called us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to come together and worship together. And Lord, part of that is the preaching of your word. Uh, Lord, not just because I'm a preacher, but uh, I do agree with Martin Luther that the preaching of the Word is the highest form of worship, because in it we exalt you in truth. And Lord, just reading your Word, Lord, you've been exalted. Lord, we have been exhorted already. So Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, you would open our hearts and open our minds to understand your Word. And Lord, and as you bring understanding, Lord, we pray that you would help us apply it to put it into practice that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been to a place where you were at a loss of what to do next? You ever been there? Yeah, I see. Yeah. You've come to the end of your abilities and your knowledge and, and you need some help before you can move on. Maybe it even happened this morning. Sometimes that happens to me with what I wear. Oh, man, what am I going to wear? Oh, sweetie, what do you think? You know, it didn't happen this morning. I threw it on, but um, I'm probably going to need some help with a tie this week, Jared, to what tie to wear for the wedding or something like that, you know. Um, but you, you ask the question, what shall I do? And this can happen in all kinds of situations. Uh, maybe it's at school and you're taking uh, a math test. Or maybe you're just in, in take, doing your math homework and you come to a place in this complicated math problem and you're like, what shall I do? And you're looking for some help. Don't come to me, all right? Bizon, where is B? Oh, Bizon must be working in the, in, in the back. Go to Bizon or somebody like that. They probably can help you with the, with the math problem. Um, but you're looking for help, and you're, you're just, you're, 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 you can't move on unless someone who knows what to do comes along and shows you or tells you what to do. I often ask this question, or the, this kind of question, what shall I do when it comes to fixing a, a car? things on a car. I can do some general things, but there's some certain things that I don't attempt. I go, what shall I do? And here's what my answer is. Call Tyler. He'll know, and he'll probably help you. Uh, so I'll, but I'll call Tyler. He'll tell me what to do. Or one time he just told me, hey, get on YouTube. Right? And it t- tell you how to change this alternator. Um, but uh, sometimes it's, it's, it has to do with a, a plumbing problem. Oh, what shall I do? All right. Well, I call Gary Gartman. All right, uh, there's some guys in the church I go there go go to, but there's a lot of those things that I come to. There's this problem, and I just come to the situation. What shall I do? I don't know. That, that's the issue. And, and maybe there's a situation at work where you work and you come to a place where you have no idea what to do next, how to fix the problem, how to move on, and you're asking the question, "What shall I do next?" I don't know. Obviously, each one of these situations comes with different types of circumstances or different types of consequences if you move on without knowing what to do. 
It can either be positive or it can be ne negative. Uh, missing a math problem, it might bring your grade down a little bit, but you're going to be okay. All right? Fixing the pro plumbing problem may ruin your house. All right? It may cost a lot of money after I try to fix the plumbing problem. Uh, but but, but in, in, in the end, you're going to be okay. But some of you work in places that if you come to a situation where you say, what shall I do next, because you don't know, and you move on and make the wrong move, it could cause death, couldn't it? It's a matter of physical life or death. Many of you in here do work like that. Well, it's imperative that we come to the plate, when we come to a place and ask, what shall we do that we get the right answer? And we're going to see this morning in Acts 2, it's not a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. In fact, this question, what shall I do, that's, that, that people cry out after they listen to Peter's sermon, what shall I do? It's funny, you know, often we talk about doing an invitation. They gave their own invitation here. Nobody, he didn't even get a chance to call them. They were, hey, what shall I do? But we're going to see these people as they cry out in desperation, what shall I do, that Peter is going to give them the answer to a critical question. In fact, I think it's the most critical question you can ask and the most critical answer you can receive is this question, what shall I do? Because it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Wouldn't you say that's pretty important? More important than a math problem or your plumbing or your electric or your car or even what goes on out at some of our plants that could cause physical life and death. This is eternal life and death. And we would do well to listen to what the Lord has to say through Peter this morning so that we might choose wisely. Well, uh, join me now as we look at these verses and, and I answer, and we answer this question, what shall we do? And then after I work down through these verses this morning and give some explanation as to, to what they mean in context... Uh, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give us three exhortations to put into practice as we answer the question, what shall I do? Look with me in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Maybe more like this, what shall we do? There's, it's a desperation and I'm going to show you why that is. What would bring these people to a place where it, say, it says here that they were pierced to the heart? Some of your translations say that we were cut to the heart. They came under deep conviction. So much so that they cried out, Brethren, what shall we do? What, what would cause that? Well, in order to answer this question, what would cause them their hearts to be pierced Would they cry out, what shall we do? When you look at the context. All right, so let's drop back here. Thousands of people, Jewish people, from all over the known world at the time had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. It happened 50 days, that's where we Penta, 5 or 50, Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And there's lots of things that they celebrated there, but they're all there. There's thousands of them that are in Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the, the, this, this Feast of Pentecost. Uh, and Peter had just preached a sermon using various texts of the Old Testament to explain what they had just witnessed on the day of Pentecost. Something happened on this day of Pentecost that had never happened before. And if you've been here, you'll remember it. If you've ever, you'll remember it. If you've ever looked at Acts 2, you'll remember what happened. What happened is that these thousands of people witnessed about 120 people stand up, and it says, proclaim the mighty deeds of God 
in languages they had never spoken before. They had never studied before. And they had spoken all these different languages because these Jews who come from all the known world spoke different languages. So they began, not only was this a miracle of speaking, it was also a miracle of hearing. They heard in their own language. I can only imagine thousands of people spread all over. And it's not like they said, okay, everybody who speaks French, come over here. And everybody who speaks, you know, Lugandan, come over here. Everybody who speaks English, they, they didn't do that. They just somehow, they spoke in tongues they had never spoken before, languages. And people were able to hear in this, this huge crowd, the mighty deeds of God spoken in their own language. Amazing. What a miracle. And, and so, so Peter stands up to explain what happened. They're like, it, 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 right, right after that, some of them are like, what does this mean? What's going on? So Peter does what anybody should do when somebody asks, what does this mean? You stand up and preach a long sermon. Amen. All right. So he stands up and, and, and he tells them, and it's a quote from Joel chapter 2. He, he tells them that, that what the prophet says about this time, that this was prophesied. He tells them that, that the giving of the Holy Spirit, which had just happened, is indication that the Messiah is, has come and they are now living in the last days. We ask that question, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. We're in the last days because the last days began when Jesus came the first time. And we're in between the two comings of Christ, the first coming and the second coming of Christ. We're in the last days. They were in the last days. So it says, Peter, Joel said this would happen, the giving of the Spirit, all these things, the speaking in other tongues would happen in the last days, in the messianic days, Messiah days. And this is good, good news. The Messiah, the chosen one promised by God from Genesis 3.15 all the way throughout the Old Testament has come and now they have the Holy Spirit to live in them for their very first time in history. But, but, he also warns what Joel warns, there's coming a time for judgment against sin. Uh-oh. There's going to come a time, and when he comes again, there's going to be a judgment for sin. He also told him that there was a way to escape this judgment. And if you look back there in, 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 chapter, in, in chapter 2, verse 21, look what he says. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They'll be saved from this judgment. It had just been promised. He then proceeds to help them, uh, the, the people here listening, answer two critical questions about this, this, this call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The first question is, who is the Lord? The second question is, how do we call on Him? And that's what, Pete, I love Peter. I mean, he just systematically works through this, okay? I know they're going to have questions. They think they know who the Lord is. They think they know how to call upon Him, but they don't. So I'm going to inform them who the Lord is first. And that's what we did the last time we were together in, uh, in Acts. We answered that question with Peter, obviously. Who is the Lord? And we saw that in verses 22 through 36. And uh, they discovered for the, 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 the Lord was Jesus. He was the Lord that they needed to call upon. And Peter proved this as we worked down through there, using Scripture to point to his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. That's what Peter did. Then he summarizes it. Look at verse 36 there, right before verse 37. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now let's read verse 37 again. Now, when they heard this, now we know what they heard, right? 
They heard this. You, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What did they hear? They heard that Jesus was the Lord whom they were a call on to, to be saved from the judgment of their sin. And not only did they hear that, but they, they heard this. They killed Him. God sent Jesus the Messiah to die in their place, to be their Savior, to be their Messiah. They reject Him and they killed Him. They know He's the Lord. They know they've done this. There's major guilt coming upon. There's major conviction. We're in trouble. Look what we've done. That's why they cry out. What shall we do? What are we going to do now? We've killed Him. We're in trouble. There's a sense of urgency here. You feel that? Hopefully I'm helping you feel that. We need to feel that. We need to feel what they felt. What are we going to do? Well, Peter, being the great preacher he was, he answers the question. They had acted wrongly. And they didn't want to blow it again. So they cry out, Peter, help us. Somebody help us. And before we move on, it's imperative to know that each and every person in this room today is in the same boat as these people in Acts 2. We have sinned. And the wages of sin is, help me, death. We all deserve death. Not just physical death, but we deserve eternal spiritual death in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. Because we've all sinned. And the wages of sin, and somebody has to pay that. It's either going to be you or someone else. And Jesus came to pay that debt. He came to pay the price of death for you and I. That's what he did. So, if we hadn't sinned, would there be a need for Jesus to come? No. So why did Jesus have to come? Because of our sin. It's easy. Hey, yeah, they're the ones who killed him. Hey, he died on the cross for our sin. And if we've been in their same boat, we've been yelling out, crucify, crucify, just as loud as they did. So we all need to hear this. We all need to cry out with them, what shall we do? What shall we do? We're in trouble. Well, He's now going to answer this question. How do I call on the name of the Lord to be saved? How do I do that? Now we know who the Lord is. How, do we, how can we be saved? What do we do? Look at verse 38. Here we go. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now for, notice first what Peter tells them to do. It's a great sermon. Repent. Sound familiar? It should because it was Jesus' first sermon. Repent. Go read Matthew 4 leading into, in Matthew 5 leading into the, the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing it says, repent. And then John the Baptist. What was his first sermon? And all the sermons. Repent. So Peter's just keeping in line with Jesus and John the Baptist. To repent. He tells them to repent. So what does it mean to repent? Now I understand but a lot of times we throw out words. Um, we've grown up hearing and and a lot of times we, we think we know what they mean, and maybe we do. We throw them out to other people, and they're like, what in the world does that mean? Who uses the word repent? Not many people. It's a great word, but we need to understand what it means. And we're going to explain it to somebody else. Just, don't just tell somebody, repent! Okay, what does that mean? Or my, my favorite is, get saved! From what? I, I hear that all the time. It's so unclear. Let's be clear, right? 
So repent. What does repent mean? What, what, the word repent means uh, comes from a word that means to change, have a change of pur- purpose, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. It means to turn around. You're going this way, heart, mind, direction, purpose, and you turn around and you make a change in the way your heart, mind, purpose is going. There's a change of direction, a change that begins obviously in the heart and the mind and then brings out into our actions. I love what a guy named David Peterson says about um, repentance. Repentance means a radical reorientation of life with respect to Jesus. A radical reorientation in life with respect to Jesus. That's what repentance means. And this was true of the people of Peter that he was speaking to here in Acts 2, and it's true of every person who's ever lived. We need to repent. We need to have a radical reorientation in respect to Jesus. We need to have a change of heart, a change of allegiance, a change of mind, a change of direction in respect to Jesus. Peter was saying to these Jews that they needed to change in relationship to Jesus. They needed to turn from the rejection of Him as their Savior and Lord and turn to Him and trust in Him as their Savior and Lord. Quit rejecting Him and now receive Him. Embrace Him. They needed to turn from their self-trust for salvation from God's judgment on sin and turn to Him so they could be forgiven. Later in Acts, when Paul is speaking to Agrippa about what Jesus had called him to do in, in Paul's mission. Paul says concerning what Jews and Gentiles would do in response to the gospel. Look, look what it says in Acts twenty six eighteen: To open their eyes, God would open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the domain of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. They, they would turn from darkness to light. You see the difference? This is a great illustration. What is repentance? Turning from darkness to light. I love what John Piper says. Turning from the deceitfulness of sin to the delight of the Savior. That's what repentance is. It's a change of allegiance. It's a change of teams. You're on this team, and I'm telling you, they're going to lose every time. He says, turn and change teams. Get on this team. Repent. Well, the word um, faith or believe uh, is used throughout the Bible concerning uh, what a person must do in order to be made right with God. We know that. And many people, we hear this phrase uh, that we're we're saved by grace through faith alone, right? So people people will say, hey, you shouldn't use the word repentance. Jesus did. John the Baptist did. Peter did. Paul will. That's a pretty good word, right? Now, it can be misunderstood. Some people say, okay, in order to be made right with the Lord, you need to do this, 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 and do this, 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 and this, and then you can be right with the Lord. Man, we're in trouble if that's the case. Now, repentance will lead to a change of action, but that's not necessary. It's not saying do this, 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 and this, and you'll be made right with Him. Our heart will change, and He'll begin to make our behavior change as well. But it's just attitude. It's just a total allegiance, total commitment. And, 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 and faith goes with that, right? You can't turn from one thing to nothing, right? You can't quit trusting, repent in one thing, and not trust in something. 
So you've got to turn and trust in something. You trust in Jesus Christ. So faith and repentance are like the two sides of a coin, right? They go together. You cannot separate them. You can't separate You have to have both. True saving faith includes repentance. True repentance includes true saving faith. You have to have both. So don't be afraid to use the word. Just make sure that we, we define them. And often you'll see in the book of Acts, and we'll see as we work through here, repentance and faith are used interchangeably. Sometimes you just use one word. And, and it explains the whole thing. Sometimes they say repent. Sometimes they say believe. Which is the same as the word faith. And they don't have to go on and explain. They understood, and you'll see in context why they understood. So the first thing Peter instructs these people to do in response to their desperate question, what shall we do to be saved? Or what shall we do? He calls them to repent. Now after he tells them to repent, notice what he says. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Now what is baptism? What is baptism? Well, we don't have time this morning to go and answer every question on baptism. I've, got, I've preached on baptism a number of times. You can go to our website and listen to that where I spend a lot of time asking and answering lots of questions all over Scripture about baptism. But we do have time to give some highlights that I think will be sufficient and are necessary for us to understand this passage. Here's a, here's a simple definition. Baptism is an act when a person is publicly, say that again, publicly immersed, because the word baptizo means to immerse. There's a whole other word in Scripture for sprinkling. Okay? The word baptism means to be immersed in water to illustrate their new life in Christ and to make an initial public profession of their commitment to Christ. Let me say that again. Baptism is when a person publicly is immersed in water to illustrate their new life in Christ and to make an initial public profession of their commitment to Christ. Now, <clears throat> some people have used this verse, taken I believe out of context, and used it to say that to be saved from your sin, you must be baptized. Okay? And I would disagree with that based upon the full counsel of the Word of God. Just the book of Acts. I don't even need the whole full counsel. I can just take the book of Acts. And that's just flat out wrong. I'm telling you, if I believe that, I mean, we borrowed this baptistry, and it's been awesome. Hasn't it been awesome to be a borrower this baptistry? have baptisms right here, and it's been awesome. If I believe that, I'd be setting these by both exits, and we'd be dunking you as you go out, brother. If I believe that, that that water brought about what's called regeneration, it's by baptismal regeneration, that it saved you, it forgave your sin, it gave you the Holy Spirit, right there in that act of the water, we'd be, we'd be dunking people all the time. I'd be jumping in just in case. If I really believe that, and if that was the Scripture, that's what you do, and that's what you would see all through the Scripture, but you don't see that. You do not see that. So I want us to be warned. Uh, something called baptismal regeneration is just flat out wrong, whether it's through the, an infant being sprinkled or an adult being immersed, uh, whatever it is, if, if they're saying that you have to be baptized to be made right with God, in, in, in the sense of having your sins forgiven and being given the Holy Spirit, that's just not right. And I'll show you that. Um, but I want you to, I want to say that real clear. It's just wrong. Is that clear enough? Wrong. All right. All right. So, so, but I understand on the surface, on the surface, as you read this, I understand how somebody could come to that conclusion if they just read this on the surface and they take it out of context. Let me read it again. Not thinking any context. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now let's consider the context. Peter is speaking to Jews. Can't miss this. He's speaking to Jews. Now it will have application to us, and we'll see that through the book of Acts and all the New Testament. 
who had publicly rejected Jesus and needed to have a radical reorientation concerning Jesus, right? That's who he's speaking to. They understand what the act of baptism symbolized. How would they understand that? Because they had seen Gentiles baptized. Because part of the process to become from, go from a Gentile to be a Jew is you had to be baptized. And they had seen that. So what were the Gentiles saying when they were baptized, when they were immersed into Judaism? It was a public act symbolizing the repentance of rejection of paganism. All right, the, the repentance or rejection of paganism and embracing Judaism. Yahweh is the one true God. It symbolized their cleansing. It was public. And, and the Jews, when they hear that, they saw John the Baptist baptizing. They understood what John was saying too. It was, it was huge. And, and of these Jews in Acts 2, they would also understand that baptism was a public act of symbolizing their repentance concerning Jesus. It would symbolize their repentance concerning Jesus and faith in Him as their Savior and Lord. They understood that's what, was, what He was asking them to do. Repent and be baptized. Now, I'm going to recommend a book here on baptism by a guy named Matt Waymeyer. Way, W-A-Y, Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. It's the most biblical um, treatment, I think, of baptism. He answers all the, I mean, all the questions biblically, looks in context. It's just tremendous. So, Matt Waymeyer on bapti- biblical baptism. But it's just a great book, and he talks about the context here of Acts 2. Let me just read this. I don't always like to read a long quote, but it's worth it. Uh, For this reason, when Peter exhorted the Jews to be baptized, he was commanding them to express their allegiance to Christ, an allegiance that was indeed a necessary response to the gospel. In this way, the command to be baptized incorporated the physical act of water baptism and the commitment of Christ it symbolized. In the context of Acts 2, then an unwillingness to be baptized would ex- expose an unwillingness to obey the gospel and become a disciple of Christ. Now remember, they're Jewish people, and to be publicly baptized was dangerous. And Peter understood that. I mean, this, this could be in their life as they knew it. It could be in their life physically, possibly, because a lot of Christians were getting what? Killed. It could completely alienate them from their life they knew in their family. Oh, you're a Christian now? You're the way? We want nothing to do with that. Lose your job, lose your family, lose everything. It was serious business. He understood what he was asking. He knew that they would follow through with him. If they would follow through with baptism, it would be a sign that they had truly repented and trusted Christ. That's why he asked them to do it. Of course, Jesus said to be baptized, right? It also was a command of Jesus. Waymire goes on and just is a great illustration to help us understand what was going on here. And I've read this before a couple years ago. Suppose there were three men standing together in the crowd on the day of Pentecost. In response to Peter's exhortation to repent and be baptized, the first man says, I repent and believe in Christ, and he truly does. So he gets in line and he's baptized. The man is forgiven and receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second man says, I repent and believe in Christ, and he also truly does. While he's in line to be baptized, however, he has a heart attack and dies. Is this man forgiven? Did he receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely, because conversion is ultimately a matter of the heart. He truly repented and believed, and therefore he was truly forgiven. But the third man says, I repent and believe in Christ. Yet when it comes to time to be baptized, he refuses to publicly declare his allegiance to Christ. Is this man forgiven? Did this man receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, because your refusal to be baptized in the name of Jesus reveals an unrepentant heart that is unwilling to believe in Christ and become his disciple. To refuse baptism was to refuse Christ. They went hand in hand. You all see that? See, here's what's happened. 
I, I use this illustration a lot about the grandfather clock, right? You got a pendulum. And he goes, tick, tock. Maybe it goes a little faster than that. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. So we hear this, tick. Oh, you have to be baptized or you're not saved. It's the water that gets it done. Woo, that's crazy. That's just way out there. So we go all the way over here. And we don't impress upon people the command to be baptized. And the importance of it. And we go way away from there. Instead of right here, what does the Bible say? It says, repent and be baptized. That baptism symbolizes that you've truly repented. That you're willing to stand up. Hey, I'll lose it all. I need Jesus. I need His forgiveness. I need the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to, use, I'm willing to lose it all. If it means stand up publicly and being baptized, whatever it brings. The symbol of that. Therefore, in Acts 2, baptism did not produce salvation, it proved it. Is that helpful? It didn't produce it, it proved it. Not only does the context of Acts 2 show that baptism does not bring about salvation or the forgiveness of sin to get the Holy Spirit, but the entire context of Acts and the rest of the New Testament does the same. And I don't have time, I've got a whole list. I sat down this week and I just got lists of verses about this whole thing. So I'm just going to give you a few in the book of Acts, just a few. If you want that whole list, I'll be happy to send it to you and you can just do some more studying. But here's a few uh, um, verses that talk about this. Uh, that Throughout Acts, we see that repentance and faith, that, that, that's what applies forgiveness of sins to people. Look at Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent that your sins might be wiped away. All right? Acts 13, 38 and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Is freed. Do you believe? You believe. Faith. 15.9. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by what? Faith. Not baptism. Not baptism. Even the, I can't even believe they use this verse in Peter. Now, baptism now saves you. You heard that one? Just take that phrase out of context. Not the removal of dirt. He's talking, it's not physical. We're not talking about that physical baptism saves you. It gives you a clear conscience because you stood up before people and say, I'm going to follow Christ. You're baptized. Uh, there, there's other places that bring it up. But it, it's clear throughout Acts in the New Testament. It's repentance and faith. It's an outward proof of a person's repentance and faith. Now, I want you, if you in your Bibles, to turn to Acts chapter 10. You're saying, you spend a lot of time on this because it's important. And I want to stress two things. I want to stress that this is wrong, baptismal regeneration, and this is wrong. Oh, baptism isn't really that important. If you haven't been baptized, it's not a big deal. They're both wrong. So I'm, I'm trying to stress that this morning. So we don't miss this. Alright? Acts 10. So what you've got is... is, is um, Peter comes to Cornelius, an amazing vision that God gives him to go to Cornelius. He's talking to Cornelius and some of his friends. Um, and if you look at verse 44 with me, and he's speaking to Cornelius and his friends, he says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed, and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God, and then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So what happened here? He's preaching. The Holy Spirit falls upon these people. It comes in these people just like it did on the day of Pentecost. The very first day it indwelt these people. And, well, and, and the evidence was he began to speak in, these other, other, speak in other languages they had never spoken before. Just like they did in Pentecost. It was confirming God's inclusion. We'll talk about this later a little bit more. Into Gentiles into the body of Christ. Because it was Jews the first time. Now it's Gentiles. But what happened? Which came first? Baptism or the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came first. And they were baptized as a symbol of their repentance and faith in Christ. And they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Not vice versa. And, and you see there's other... The Ethiopian eunuch. He believes first. Then he's baptized. I mean, I can just keep giving you example after example. And we'll see these through Acts. They believe first. They repent first. And baptism followed salvation. There's was proof of repentance. Now let's look br- briefly look back again at Acts 2.38. Have I beat that, old horse, uh, that horse to death? I hope not. I hope so. So we don't miss it. Acts 2.38 again. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What shall we do? That's what they ask. What shall we do? He says repent. Repent. Demonstrated by their baptism and you will receive forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will be saved from the wrath of God against your sin and given the promised Holy Spirit to dwell in you which is the fulfillment of the new covenant New covenant, the Holy Spirit would dwell in people in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel which we saw now look at uh, verse 39 for this promise or the promise is for you and your children for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself what promise? what promise is he talking about? the promise of forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that promise that they saw happen in the apostles in the 120 and then it happened to them now he's saying to these people this promise, that promise forgiveness of sin and the Holy Spirit who's it for? well it says for you the Jews speaking to the Jews let's make sure we see this in context for the Jews for your children for the children that, 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 they're, that, they, that they have right? this promise is for them for all who are far off other Jews not present. Some people would say this is the Gentiles, um, possibly. But how about this? As many as the Lord our God will call to himself, definitely includes the Gentiles. Because you will see the Lord call to himself people that are not Jewish very soon. So it's for you, your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord calls to himself. We talked about that a little bit last time. The Lord's got to call because we won't. He's got to do a work in our heart. Says their, their, their throat in Romans three says their throat is open grave. No one seeks the Lord. No one calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord's got to do a work. Do we have to respond? You bet we do. We're called to respond. But the Lord's got. He's got a call, and He does. And He calls all these people from all over the place. And how will they all receive this promise? It's not just okay. You believed, so because you believed, your kids are good. No. Well, my grandmother believed I must be good. No. It doesn't work that way. They all, and we'll see this through the book of Acts, they all must repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ if they're going to receive this promise of forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. So, what we have here in Acts um, chapter 2 is the answer to what shall we do? We're in trouble. Repent. And be baptized. 
You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and your forgiveness of sins. Well, now look at verse 30, 40 with me. And with many other words, they solemnly testified and kept it. Um, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." What we have here in Acts two was just a part of Peter's sermon. Because you're probably thinking, "Man, Peter, I mean, what's it take about two minutes to read through that?" Brian, you go on and on and on. What's up with that? It's just a part. Because he, it, it, actually, there's later we're going to see um, a guy named Eutychus fall out of the window and die because of long preaching. Amen. Um, but he resurrected him. I can't do that. All right, God could maybe if he wanted to, but we're, I'm going to deal with that right now. But um, but he preached, and it says he they, he kept he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, kept teaching. There probably was questions, and he's answering the questions. Be saved from this perverse generation, the generation who's rejected Jesus Christ. Do we live in a generation to rejecting Jesus Christ? You bet. So I would call just like Peter said. Be saved from this perverse generation and the consequences of it. Now look at verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Once again, we see, says that the, we see that baptism was for those who received his word. They repented. All those who repented, listen to this, all those who repented on this day were baptized. Unless somebody died in line. Or somebody showed that they really hadn't repented. But it says those who received, those who did repent, they were baptized. 3,000 people were given the gift of the Holy Spirit and their sins were forgiven. Boom. Talking about the church growth movement. God brings growth. God builds His church. We proclaim the truth and we trust God to do that. And not only was He adding 3,000 that day, He's been adding to that number daily. And we'll see this actually here in Acts 2 later. He continued to add daily those who were being saved. And he's been adding daily since this time. He's been adding often in our body. And I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in this building. I've seen it happen over lunch. I've seen it happen in my study in my home. I've heard it happen in the lives of other people in our, in our body. I've heard people come, walk out of this building on their way out and say, What shall I do? Maybe not those words. But, hey, Brian, I need a new heart. I don't know the Lord. What am I going to do? I've heard that happen. You know why? Because God the Holy Spirit is at work. And He's still at work. The same God who did this is at work today. Isn't that great news? Tremendous news. Well, how are we going to respond this morning? I want to give you three exhortations to put into practice to answer what shall we do. And these aren't going to be tricky at all. I know, no, there's no alliteration here. No just cool... I'll remember those things. I want you to remember, you've heard them the whole, the, 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 the whole time together. First of all, repent. I'm going to stay with Jesus and John and Peter, okay? Repent. That's what you need to do. Have you repented and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so your sins can be forgiven, be made right with God, and receive the Holy Spirit? Has that happened in your life? Have you turned from trusting yourself to make yourself right with God and turn and trust in Christ alone? Has that happened in your life? It has, it has not happened. I implore you on Christ's behalf, repent. Turn to Him and be saved from the penalty of your sin. And I ask that question again. Have you repented? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and receive the Holy Spirit? If yes, here's the second exhortation. Be baptized. Be baptized. It's just as strong. Repent. And now I'm telling you, be baptized. Be baptized. 
If have you have you been baptized since you've come to faith in Christ? If not, why not? Now I know there's some different things. I mean, people don't they, they, they truly do trust in Christ. They truly do repent, and they're not given they're not taught right, and they don't know any better. I understand that. Okay, and, and they haven't been since they come to faith in Christ. All right. And so we need to make sure we teach them what the Bible says about this, right? And maybe you're in that boat. I didn't know that. I went to baptism and regeneration, so I ran all the way over here. Well, run back here what the Bible says. Be baptized. And that's the case. Some people, and I want to be very sensitive to this, some people were baptized as infants. There's a lot of people in our body that were. And I understand it. And let me say this to your parents. Hats off to your parents. They were doing what they thought was best. They didn't do it because they, well, let's do this because this is wrong. No parent does that. Alright? They were doing that because they thought we're best. And I understand that, 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 that many of them, many people believe, and we believe the same thing about salvation. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Many of our friends in, in, in Presbyterian Church, Methodist Church, um, believe that truth. And they truly did trust Christ. They were baptized though when they were an infant. Alright? And they were doing their best. But let me, I, just, I just encourage you. Look at what the Bible says. Not tradition. Not, not an oral argument based upon um, some reason. But what does the Bible say? I'll say this. I, I love R.C. Sproul. I love R.C. Sproul. I read a lot of stuff about R.C. Sproul. He's a Presbyterian. He's an infant baptism. But when he did a debate, debate about 10, no, it's been about 15 years ago with John MacArthur on this subject, here's what he said. He's, he's never backed down from it. Here's what he said to John MacArthur. He said, if you want scriptural proof, I have none. If we're gonna, our argument's going to be about scripture, I'm in trouble. I don't have any. That's what he said. It's on tape. You can go, you can go listen to it. It's there. All right? And I love John McCarthy. And he's, I'm not saying R.C. Sproul's don't say. Don't hear me say that. All right? But what does the Bible say? And we don't want to depend upon other men even though we respect them. What does the Bible say? It says to be baptized. Be baptized as a believer by immersion publicly. Now, there's other people who are like this last, the, 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 the other guy in line, right? Who said, oh, yeah, I believe. But I refuse to publicly be baptized. Here's what I would say then I seriously doubt you know Jesus. And I may just say what he said, no. From my vantage point, if you're refusing and you know that's what it says, you know and you believe, oh, I saw what it says in the Scripture, that's exactly what it says. That's not for me. You know what you're saying? Remember the context. Repentance and baptism went hand in hand. To say no to one was to say no to the other. To say no to baptism when you know. Now I know some people are still struggling with this. And I'm not saying that to you. Maybe you're struggling. You're wrestling with this. Keep wrestling. Let's get together. But if you come to a place, oh, I, I convinced. I don't even have to convince me. But no, no for me. Then I would say you're saying no to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty, it's pretty hard, but it's true. I love you enough to say be baptized. What shall we do? Repent and then be baptized. All right? May 24th, we're going to have another baptism right here. If you want to be baptized, let me know. Let Jared know. We'll, we'll take care of that. To let you obey. To publicly be baptized. Thirdly, repent, be baptized, and tell others to repent and be baptized. That's just not my job. It's all our job. We're all called to answer this question that people are going to ask as the Lord works in their heart. They're going to say, what shall I do? They've come to this realization. I'm sinful. I'm separated from a holy God. I'm toast. What am I going to do? Who's going to be there with the answer? You and me. We're all called to do that. Because God uses people. How will, they, how, how will they repent? How will they believe if, no one, if there's no preacher, if no one tells them? That's what it says in Romans. We're the people who tell them. We get to be a part of this. What an amazing gift that is, huh? We get to tell people that. We get to ride with people, Clint Roopley, in a car. 
on the way to the airport and say, Clint, you need to repent. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. Clint doesn't matter me telling this. And what happened? Clint repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, Clint, the Bible also said you'd be baptized. Okay, I'm in. Count me in on that. That's what needs to happen. We've got to be there to tell them. What, what, what Clint said, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. I'm just a preacher. I mean, come on, we've got to know. If you know the Lord, you've got to be able to tell somebody else, right? Repent and be baptized. When the Lord brings people in your life that are asking this question, what shall I do? Let's answer with clarity, compassion, and love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth in your word. Lord, thank you that we're not left guessing. What shall we do? And we understand that we are sinful and we stand before holy God and we are guilty and we deserve hell. We deserve death. We deserve your wrath. And we understand that. And we cry out, what shall we do? Lord, you didn't have Peter say, I don't know. You made it clear that we need to turn from trusting in ourselves, turn from our rejection of Jesus, and turn and trust in Him as our Savior from sin, our Savior from Your just wrath, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might live in a way that honors You. And Lord, I pray for people here this morning who have never, ever done that. Lord, You would awaken their heart. They would ask the question, and the answer would come, and they would repent, and then they would be baptized. To show the repentance is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.